0: to worship the Lord and and just to lift Him on high, and it was just, that was awesome. Okay, I'm done for the night. That was just, let's keep worshiping. Actually, we're going to continue our study through the book of Judges. I think it's been probably a month since uh, we picked it up here, but uh, we're in Judges chapter 9 this evening. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Richard will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. I don't uh, see Lisa Meeks here tonight. Um a nursery. Her brother passed away, uh think day before yesterday, I guess, and he'd he'd been to the church a couple of times and, and we've shared with him. Joey and I share with him quite a bit. And uh um, Lisa's brother Jack um passed away. And so um so we wanna pray for Lisa and just pray, bring comfort for her during this time as well and, and uh and so um just wanna bring that up and uh and I want to praise the Lord for the kids getting back safely from their mission trip down in Texas. That was. We're going to get a, a hopefully some pictures and some talking, but but everyone says they don't want Aaron to talk because it'll be all night. But but that's okay. <laughs> we love Aaron, and so. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I think you know it's just a blessing to hear the stories and just to see how these lives, the kids lives have changed and and how they want to go back and what god has done you're going yeah that's what mission trips are for you know just really seeing god use them and and so it was really really cool and and so we're going to try and get something together can't do it next wednesday because of vbs which you need to be praying for but then maybe the following wednesday we'll do that or maybe sunday morning we'll figure something out but we'll get just praise the lord though they're back and and god used it mightily it was awesome and so uh well before we get to judges chapter nine let's open up with a word of prayer Father, we thank you for, uh, just this opportunity, Lord, to gather together and to be in your word. And we do praise you for being the, bringing the, the, the youth uh, ministry mission trip, to all the kids back safely and adults, Lord. And we thank you for the just work that you did on their hearts, Lord, and for the work that they did, Lord, uh, the whole week, Lord. I know they were busy every step of the way. And so, Lord, thank you for that and giving them the opportunity to serve and to see, uh, people that are so much less fortunate than, than than we are. And so thank you for that, Lord. We want to lift up Lisa to you, Lord, and just pray your comfort upon her right now, Lord, during this time of loss, and, and just pray that you would, uh, uh, through this, Lord, that there would be those that would give their lives to you, Lord, and, and see the importance of, of living for you and knowing you. And so, Lord, just pray for Lisa. Uh, pray your comfort on her, Lord. And we pray, Lord, your blessing upon our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we know that the book of Judges is really all about making right choices versus wrong ones, and and it's a book of uh, them making a lot of wrong choices. Deuteronomy 30, verse 20, The Lord said to the people of Israel before they entered into the Promised Land, If you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Love the Lord, obey the Lord, man, you're going to be great. But he also warned them in Deuteronomy 30:17, if you're drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, then you shall surely perish, and you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Well, they crossed over to the Jordan, made right choices, made wrong choices, went back and forth, back and forth. And we've talked about this before, but it's been a while since we have. And so, uh, really, the book of Judges describes for us seven times in which they went through right and wrong choices. See, they're they're devoted to God. Then the then the people delve into sin. Then they're defeated by their enemies. And then they deplore the situation. Then they repent. And then they're delivered by the judges. All right, way to go. Then uh, they delve into sin again, and they're defeated by their enemy. And so we see this pattern over and over again. Well, we come to chapter nine, and the last judge in chapter eight, Gideon, has died, and there's not another judge to take his place. Now, it's been said, no man's life is completely worthless, for anyone can serve as a horrible example. Well, in chapter 9, we have such a man who fits that description. His name is Abimelech, and he's Gideon's son. Now, before we look at uh, Abimelech, understand that Abimelech was not a judge. He he did not deliver Israel from any uh, enemy or oppressor. Yet, his story covers 57 verses, the whole chapter in in this book. It's, It's a lesson, and it's a warning about Leadership. See, God can and does raise up leaders, but men also can raise themselves up to be leaders with awful consequences among God's people. Warren Wearsby in his commentary, calls this chapter "My Kingdom Comes," and it fits. And we definitely see that in the life of Abimelech. Now, who was Abimelech? Well, Abimelech was the son of Gideon by a slave woman from his uh, from who lived with her with her father's family in Shechem. She was a part of Gideon's concubine. Remember, Gideon's name was changed to Jerubael, meaning let Baal contend, because he tore his father's uh, altars down, the, the altars to Baal he tore down. So they changed his name. And at that point, they wanted to make uh, Gideon king, but he refused. But then goes right ahead and gives himself a concubine, and then names his, his son from her, uh, Abimelech, which means my father is a king. Now, now, although Gideon had certainly lived like a king, he did not establish a, a dynasty in Israel. Abimelech, on the other hand, felt like his father had made a mistake. So after his father's death, Abimelech decided that he just can't wait to be king. Sounds kind of like Iron, you know, a, a, you know it's a Lion King reference, okay? Just can't wait to be king. All right, moving on. So <laughs> Abimelech moved from Afra to Shechem, where he started his campaign really of self-exaltation, selfish ambition. Hey, look to me. I'm the guy. I'm the man of the hour. Look at verse 1. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbael, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them, and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbael reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. Now one of the first sins we see here with Abimelech out of many is that that is of selfish ambition. And that leads to sowing discord. Now, there's nothing wrong with having ambition. It's not evil in and of itself, provided it's mixed with humility and it's controlled by the will of God. Warren Wearsby writes, If it's God's wind that lifts you and you're soaring on wings that he's given you, then fly as high as he takes you. But if you manufacture both the wind and the wings, you're heading for a terrible fall. What he's saying is ambition turns bad when it becomes selfish ambition. See, if we exalt ourselves, God has many ways of bringing this down, but when God raises someone up, all the glory goes to God. Now, the Jews had been acquainted with the people of Shechem since way back in Genesis chapter 12. Both Jews and and, and Canaanites lived in Shechem during Abimelech's days, which explains why he decided to start his campaign there. His mother was a Shechemite, and his father was a Jew. Therefore, if Abimelech became king, then he could represent both sides. So he starts campaigning, again in verse 2, Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubal reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember, I'm your own flesh and bone. And he's and he starting to just sow this discord among his own family. Hey, look, you know, it's not, all these are our guys, yeah, but, but, but look at me, just one. Don't you think it would be so much better? And this discord, and he's sowing this discord. And the same thing can happen in a church or at your work where, where someone desires a position. And the way they go about it is to put someone else down. You know, you, you go to some fellow worker and say, did you see so-and-so, what he did, and, and he's our boss? And Now, come on, we all know the right way to do that. If I was in charge, if I was the one in charge of this project, then this is the way I would do it. We shouldn't have to put up with that. And, 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 and you know, we put other people's down. You know, when we know that God is a God of love, uh, we know that God is a God of love, but Solomon tells us six things that the Lord hates. And uh, One of them is discord. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. I think we know those verses. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to the Lord. Proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift at running evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. So all of these are are acts and and, and declarations of independence. You know, uh, All of these are saying, I'm going to solve the problem. I can spin the truth. I can take care of of my situation with my clever speech, my killer instinct, my running here, my, my manipulating there. I know what's best for me. It's all selfish ambition. And God hates this kind of thing because he wants us to be totally dependent upon him. See, if you're dependent upon me, God would tell us, I'll see you through. Don't try to make things happen in the energy of your own flesh. You'll just end up frustrated. Trust me, look to me, lean on me, the Lord would say to us this evening. It's a dangerous thing for us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And We all need to discover the gifts that God has given to us and use them in the place where He puts us. Each member in the body of Christ is important, and we all need one another to minister to one another. And since there's no competition in the work of the Lord, there's no need for any of us to promote ourselves. And and the important thing is that God receives the glory. While Abimelech, his campaigning work. Look now at verses 3 through 5. And his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, Here's our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-barith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Opera and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Drupal, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Drupal, was left because he hid himself. Boy, Abimelech, he, man, he's off to a great start. I mean, he takes <laughs> silver from a pagan temple. He hires worthless men and probably by beheading kills his own half-brothers. It's interesting that the hit men were described as worthless and reckless men. That word translated worthless here literally means empty. Men who were completely void of conscience. Had no feelings in what they were doing. And I think today more and more people are like that, empty. Their consciences have been seared by sin. Even in the church we're seeing it over and over again. Because, listen, the Holy Spirit says in the last days we'll see men. According to 1 Timothy 4.2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. See, it's been said the road to emptiness is paved with sin. Because the more that we sin, the more callous and seared our conscience becomes until finally we can't feel anything anymore and, and, and we're able to commit whatever sin whatsoever without any remorse. So much so that we see all oh, but one of Gideon's sons were beheaded by these guys in Gideon's hometown of Oprah. I mean, that, that's a seared and callous conscience. They died one after another on the same stone chopping block. Only Gideon's youngest son, Jotham, escaped. Look at verse 6. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth, Milo, and they were—they went out and made a Bimle king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. So, what we see here is is Abimelech's coronation ceremony. But it's a farce. An empty ritual that was never accepted, never blessed by the Lord, never led by the Lord. The new king not only blasphemed God by the promises he made, but, but he defiled the place where he was at that was sacred in Jewish history. See, this coronation took place at the Terebit Tree at the Pillar of Shechem. This probably is the Oak of Moreh, where the Lord appeared to Abraham and promised to give him and his descendants the land. It's also near that same site that the nation of Israel heard the blessings and curses read from the law and promised to obey the law. Jacob as well buried the idols here as he called his family back to God. And it was here that Joshua gave his last speech and led the people in reaffirming their obedience to the Lord. And here, you know, Abimelech is there, and I'm going to use the same spot to, to self-promote myself. All this sacred history was degraded and dishonored by the selfish act of one godless man. So he's made king. Jotham, the one stepbrother that was left alive, hears about it, and in the middle of the ceremony, I love it, he climbs to the top of Mount Gerizim, which overlooks the city of Shechem, and says, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And he gives this parable of these trees. It's a parable that gives us great insight concerning God's heart towards leadership. Look at verse 8. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, "Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. Now, now, Now this is the very first parable recorded for us in Scripture. A lot of people have the idea that well, Jesus invented the parables, but not so. Uh, you know, uh, yes, they're found in the four Gospels, but 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 uh, you know, when Nathan confronted David, Nathan used a, a parable to confront David with his sin with Bathsheba, and there's many others examples of this as well. Now, in this parable of the trees, for some reason they decide to point a certain tree as their king. So they approached the olive tree, valuable and prized tree. You got a flat, no way, Jose. You know, we're not going to leave our flatness, our fatness with which God, our men, and honored and go sway over the other trees. So the nominating committee then moved to the fig tree. The really, really best tree out of the bunch. I mean, the the fig tree and and the figs. By far the best fruit. Guys, you know how much I like figs. But the fig tree says, Why should I leave my sweetness and my fruit and figs which are really, really, really good? Why should I leave my fruit for such a silly function? So then they turned to the grape, and there was, no, it's, there, there was the same response. Shall I leave my wine, which cheers God and men? Now, there's several things we can notice, or should notice, about these trees. Number one, the trees already recognized that they already had a king, and that was God. They don't need to go rule. They don't need to be. Can they recognize that God was their king? And what good was, was a king of the trees? They, they, they didn't want to rule. They simply wanted to function as God intended them to function. You know, when God rules your life, it's easy to say no to, to flattery and exaltation. Oh, come on, and, and you need to do this. And oh, you know what? God says no. Secondly, they were all fruit-bearing trees. And as long as they were being what, what God intended them to be, they brought blessing to God and to man. They weren't trying to be something they weren't. And as long as they were doing what God called them to do, they were bearing fruit. But finally comes the bramble bush or the thorn bush. Now we know that the thorn or the bramble was a product of the curse on the earth in Genesis chapter 3. In this tree, this bush was useless. bore no fruit. It was dangerous as well because in the heat of summer it could catch on fire and, and set the whole countryside aflame. The wood was no good for construction. It was not large enough to provide for change or for shade. Rather, it was hazardous to the flux, and its only real use is to dry it out and use it as fire starter. Look at verse fifteen. We read, and the bramble said to the trees, "If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. <laughs> what shade? <laughs> but if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon." I mean, this is, this verse is filled with sarcasm. Imagine a, a bramble king. I mean, it's the most worthless tree imaginable, yet it had delusions of grandeur. It willingly accepted the offer and, and, and invited all the other trees to take refuge in its shade. Come on, take refuge in my shade. What shade? Again, what can a bramble bush do for, for a great cedar of Lebanon except destroy it by fire? In the same way, when we come and take shelter in any other shade other than Jesus Christ, we're going to get burned. See, my flesh, our flesh is like the bramble. And if I let it take control of me in my life, it's not going to produce fruit in my life, only the ugly, destructive works of the flesh. And Paul lays them out real clearly for us in Galatians 5. Let me read them in verses 19-21. through He says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, and just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, in a radical contrast of, of those is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians five twenty two and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. See, the principle of control is really clear. My life will bear the fruit of that which is controlling my life. The flesh produces destruction, the bramble or the thorn bush, but the Holy Spirit will produce in us the Christ-like character that we need, that needs to happen in our lives. So it's really all a matter of who's the king of my life. Is it me, the bramble bush, or is it the Lord? Do I allow the, this word and the Spirit to fill my life, or do I fill myself with with... with up with myself, with my own ambition, my own wants, my own desires. Oh, i got to have this. Again, selfish ambition is what got Abimelech in this mess in the first place. And I, I want to go back to the parable of the tree for a moment. Talk about leading and, and leadership and, and point out three things. When it comes to leadership, number one, you can't always give the people what they want. You can't always give the people what they want. Now, these trees refused to be kings, saying they did not want to sway over the other trees. But from the other perspective, the trees that wanted a king were asking for a tree or king that would spend all of his energies giving them shade rather than bearing fruit. In other words, we 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 want you to be king, but this is what we want you to do. We want you to produce shade for us. And we we don't want any problems. We just want comfort, and we, and we just want you know a, you know no no problem with that. And that's what we want you to do all the time. Is as you you know rule and reign you know over us as king, then we just want want this this way. And I think it can be, can be a common problem in many churches today. People want pastors to spend all their, 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 their time and energy giving them shade and, and, and keeping them, you know, just this, just lulled to, you know, to rest in the shade. But, and, 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 but that also keeps them from bearing fruit. I think at the, the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, a, a need arose, certain widows were not getting the proper distribution of, of benevolence. So they took the issue to the leaders who wisely stated in Acts 6-2, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. What does it mean, not desirable? It means that it wasn't the best thing for the people. In other words, it's, it's, it's better for you if your pastor's time to study God's word rather than getting caught up with all the other functions and, and things going on in the church. It's better, better for you and for him if he's fruitful rather than giving a moment of shade. But here's another way of putting it. We, you know, we should understand our biblical roles and responsibilities rather than giving in to the cultural expectations. Let me say that again. We should understand our biblical roles and responsibilities rather than giving into to cultural expectations. or cultures well, you need to act this way, you need to do this. Second thing we learn about leading and leadership is if you're not careful, you'll begin to become a shade for others and cease to bear fruit yourself. Today, we'd, we'd like to call this burnout. You know, There's a lot of ministers and missionaries have burnout in their place of serving God. Now, I, I don't really believe in, in, in burnout for a couple of reasons. Because if you're burned out, maybe it's an indication you weren't called in the first place. A lot of people think they should serve God in a particular way, but they are, they are operating in their own strength, and in their own flesh, and their own agenda, without any real call from God upon their lives. And number two, when it comes to burnout, the source of your ministry is supposed to be the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So can the Holy Spirit ever be exhausted? Of course not. He's portrayed in Scripture as a never-ending, always-available supply of, of oil or, or water. So if, you, if you're experiencing burnout, then you have to ask yourself, if you're doing the work of the ministry in your own energy, and your own strength, I'm not saying you know, we won't get tired out physically or, or worn out at times. You definitely will, but, but it, that isn't burnout, and it's easily resolved. I'm not saying you won't get discouraged either. You will. That's not burnout either. Discouragement is a, a, a strategy of Satan to defeat and destroy you. It must be fought, not surrendered to. And number three, when it comes to leading and leadership, know that there are a lot of brambles out there ready to take advantage of you. They have no fruit. They promise only shade, which they cannot even give. And a lot of people get led astray by listening to the, to the flattery of brambles. They tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. They call to you and they flatter you. They almost always suggest that the leader God has raised up over you is controlling or somehow unfeeling or uncompassionate and He doesn't care about you. But if they were over you, well, then you'd get the care and attention you deserve and things would be different. See, we need to be aware of what's out there. We need to be careful of the sin of self-ambition or self-exaltation or or lifting someone up in leadership with the sin of self-ambition or self-exaltation. Well, Jotham explains the parable to the people. Look now at verse 16. Now, therefore... If you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubael and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day, and killed his seventy sons on one stone, and made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother." If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Drubael and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come down from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and he went to be here and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. So he got up, set his pieces and said, I'm out of here. You don't want to get caught. Now, now God inspired Jotham to tell this parable, and and that was all. God didn't raise up Jotham to fight Abimelech, or even to be a judge for Israel, though he would have been a much better leader than Abimelech. No, Jotham's job was to declare this warning. Abimelech, if you've been called to this position, great, but if not, you'd better watch out, because you're going to get burned. And, and, And the point is, we need to know what God has and has not called us to do when we want to be right where God wants us to be. Verse twenty two. Well after Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God set a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the seventy sons of Jubileel might be settled, and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother, who killed them on the and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. So after three years, We see here that the Lord brought division between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. He did this by sending a spirit of ill. It's an interesting phrase. The spirit of ill. In Hebrew, it's ra-ruach. Ra meaning bad or evil, and ruach meaning wind, breath, or spirit. So you might read this as saying the cause of the division was Abimelech's bad breath. And and so, uh, no. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Actually, the Lord allowed distrust, and treachery to come between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Now was this a spirit inside the hearts of these men as in the spirit of timidity that we read about in 2 Timothy? Was it a spirit of jealousy as we read about in Numbers chapter 5? Or was it actually a spiritual being like the unclean spirits, the demons that Jesus cast out of people? E- either one of these interpretations you could justify from this passage. but But the end... The result was the same regardless. There was division and treachery between the men of the city and their king. Now, why did the Lord send the spirit? Well, number one is because of selfish ambition. But more importantly, don't forget Abimelech and the men of Shechem had killed Gideon's 70 sons. And the Bible is clear, Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So when they had killed Gideon's sons, they had sown seeds of violence. They sown seeds of treachery. And now, three years later, the crop has grown. And it's grown up enough to haunt them. Verse 25, it says, And the men of Shechem sent men in ambush against him on the top of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told, Abimelech. See, the the men of Shechem, they're they're organizing these ambushes against travelers on the road and hope that one of these travelers is going to be Abimelech himself and they'd kill him. And each time someone would pass by, they would check to see if it was Abimelech and if it wasn't, they would rob them and which in turn would cut off Abimelech's supply of funds. It hit him financially and then, you know, they would wait for the kill. But now in verse 26, a new person enters the scene. Look at verse 26. Now Gaal, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So we got this man named Gaal, the son of Ebed, showing up in town during this mess. He obviously is a charismatic, likable guy, and almost immediately the men of Shechem, they're, they're starting to put their trust in him. So we see a little bit of division going on. They think, hey, this guy will make a much better king than Abimelech, but, but it's just as dangerous. Because appointing newcomers to positions of authority or leadership is always very dangerous. Something Paul warned about to Timothy in appointing of the elders of the church, he said in 1 Timothy 5.22, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thus share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. also talked about appointing men to deacons' ministry too quickly, he said in 1 Timothy 3.10, And let these also be first tested, and let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Because the bottom line is, we can all fake it for a while. It takes time to learn someone's character, and it takes time to, to 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 see someone's condition of their heart. And one of the reasons, even in ministry here at the church, if someone's new to the church, oh, I want to get involved, I want to get plugged in. We say, well, just hang out for about six months, four to six months. Let's see, you know, where your heart is. Let's see the gift that God has for you. But it's also seeing where they're at in ministry. J. Oswald uh, Sanders, in his book Spiritual Leadership, writes this. Appointing leaders with a secular or materialistic outlook prevents the Holy Spirit from making spiritual progress in that place. The Holy Spirit does not take control of anyone against his or her will. When people who lack spiritual fitness to cooperate with him are elected to leadership position, he quietly withdraws and leaves them to implement their own policies according to their own standards. But without his aid, the inevitable result is unspiritual administration." Now people, they, you know, they come into church and they really are not being led by the Spirit. You know, the policies, the things are going to be the things of the world. Well, regardless, the men of Shechem quickly put their trust in Gal. Not a good plan. Look at verse 27. So they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaul said, the son of Ebed said, who is Abimelech and was Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Drubael and is not Jeb, Jebul his officer? Serve the man of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come on out. <laughs> we might call this the gall of gall. I mean, why was he so filled with anger against Abimelech and Shechem and, and just letting it all out? Cause he's been drinking. He's been drinking. Gal and, and, and his newfound followers had a party in the temple of Baal-Bareth and the more they drank, the more free their tongues got in cursing their leader and the braver they got while they got under the influence. Then Gall starts to drop some hints about how he would be a better king than Abimelech. Like, Come on, Abimelech. I can take you. You're nothing. You're no threat. And you can just picture this this kind of this drunken brawl. Oh, yeah, we can get him. Yeah, raise your glass. Yeah, we can get him. Now, of course, Abimelech wasn't there at the time. You know, a lot, of, a lot of courage when the guy's not there, and and uh, so he's railing on the leader of the city, Abimelech's lieutenant Zabul as well. Let me suggest to you, if there's no other reason, and there are many, to stay away from alcohol, this should be valid in and of itself. People say things they wish they had never said when they are under the influence of alcohol. Well, verse 30. When when Zabul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gal, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. And he sent messengers to Bimelech, secretly saying, Take note, Gal the son of Ebed and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are fortifying the city against you. Now therefore get up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie and wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So Bimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night, and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. See, Zebul wasn't thrilled with Gal, who was, what he was doing and saying, so he alerts Abimelech. He said, man, there's a possible uprising, and he tells him, listen, let's nip it in the bud. Before they can attack you, let's go and get them. Verse 35. When Gal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him arose from lying in wait. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, you see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. I'm thinking he's playing into the fact that, that Gael probably had a hangover. And he's saying, no, yeah, they're not men. They're just shadows of trees. Don't worry about it. Okay, yeah, I guess so. Verse 37. So Gael spoke again and said, no, see, people are coming down from the center of the land and, and another company is coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. And then Zebul said to him, where indeed is your mouth now, with which you said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. <laughs> well, now, the entrance to the city gate here was a place where where the city elders and leaders would gather, they would conduct their business. With Gael's new popularity, he naturally was there that morning next to Zebul, the city's real leader. So when Gaal sees Abimelech's armies approaching in the distance, you know, Zebul, he didn't care for Galah at first. He said, oh, don't worry about it. Again, he said, just you're imagining things. You, you know, they're just shadows on the mountains. But as he realized what was happening, Zebul says, okay, hot shot. You were talking all big. You want to fight Abimelech? There's there. your chance. You know, get him. Go ahead. You're no threat. Here's your chance. Look at verse 39. So Gal went out, leading the men of Shechem, and fought with uh, Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and uh, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt in Aruma, and Zabul drove out Gal and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. Unfortunately for Gal, his words were stronger than his men, and many were wounded, and, and Gal was driven out of Shechem, we read there. So there's, a, a I guess, a victory there. Abimelech then goes to his home in Aruma, Jamaica. Ooh, I want to take you. Bermuda, Bahama. Come on, pretty mama. Not Aruma, actually. <laughs> Not, not, it's Aruma, not Aruba, but, but it's interesting because uh, the name Aruma means I shall be exalted. I mean, <laughs> What a perfect place for a self-appointed king to say, I'm going to go hang out. And I'll make my home a I-will-be-exalted city. But it's not over yet. Because next we see that the people of Shechem decided they're going to go after and attack Abimelech. Look at verse 42. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field, and they told Abimelech. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, and they wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, and the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. Now, when all the men of the Tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Barith, and it was told Abimelech that all the men of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to the Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees, and took it and laid it on his shoulder. And then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. Now, Although Abimelech was an ungodly and a violent man, he did understand some basic principles of leadership. He understood the importance of leading through example of one's own actions. He could tell the troops, say, hey, do what I have just done. So he's leading by example. That's probably the only good thing about him. Verse 49. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them, so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. What a perfect picture of what Jotham had said. A bramble produces no shade, but was good for fire. The bramble king promised shade for the people, but he's burning them instead. Verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he camped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Man, you know the Bible for sure is descriptive. It crushed his skull. It's very Indiana Jones, you know. Now millstones, we know they were round with a hole in the middle of it and they would put a stick or post to the center of it and they would roll it. And the ladies would come and just pour their wheat on this little groove on the ground, and as the millstone would go by, it would grind the wheat into flour, so, so they had their stone ground wheat you know, with these millstones. Now, they had a, the smaller millstones, you know, they weighed anywhere from four to five pounds, up to, up to millstones that are, are, you know, four to five hundred pounds. So when the Bible says that, but a certain, verse 53, a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull, it crushed his skull, this crust. You know, Jesus said concerning teachers that would destroy the faith and the heart of a child, that would be better for them if a millstone were hung around their neck and they were tossed into the sea than to offend one of these children. Gentle, meek, and mild Jesus gave quite a warning to these false teachers, those who would destroy the faith and the heart of a child. He said, put them in concrete and dump them in the ocean. <laughs> Let them swim with the fishes. I mean, would have been a good mafia exterminator, you know. But you see, the Lord looks at the seriousness of sin. And he says, we are all accountable for our actions. And now there is this woman in the tower, and she had a piece of millstone. And, and here's old Abimelech down there, you know, trying to, to set the door on fire. And she drops the millstone and cracks his skull. But listen, Jotham said in verse 20, if Abimelech should not have been made king, then he would suffer the consequences. And sure enough, in verse 53, he certainly did. He got a splitting headache. See, Abimelech's first problem was that of selfish ambition. The Word tells us in James 4, 6, that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're told in 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. We live in a very selfish society today. What's in it for me? I want it now. I want to do what I want to do. But Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Abimelech's second problem is that it is, is the principle of sowing and reaping. He, he sowed a seed when he put the heads of his 70 brothers upon that chopping block. So he should not have been surprised when the stone fell upon his own head. He wanted to be crowned and he was crowned with a millstone. And again, it crushed his skull. Verse 54. Then he called quickly to his uh, young to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men save me. A woman killed me. So a young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Abimelech considered it more manly to be killed by his own armor bearer than a woman. But it didn't matter. He was still dead afterwards. Proud even in death. Then he had to answer to God for his wicked actions. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, but after that, judgment. He had to face judgment. I find it interesting that Abimelech didn't want his death credited to a woman, but long after his death, he's remembered for being killed by a woman. Second Samuel 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 21 says, Who struck Abimelech the son of Jer- Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? It's right there. It says it. It's like. Oh, kill me so no one would say a woman. Well, you know, in 2 Samuel, a woman did it, you know. And now we have it all, you know, recorded in all the history. You were killed by a woman. It's also interesting to me in verse 25 that it says, And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed, every man to his own place. It's like, oh, well, he's dead. Let's go home. No mourning. No funeral, no funeral possession. There's no real passion for, for for their action because God did not inspire them in any way of this. This is all a, a work of their flesh and the flesh always leads to death. Verse 56. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbael. Listen, the shedding of innocent blood is something that God takes very, very seriously. And eventually, he avenges. Again, showing us a, a, a reaping in the fact that Abimelech never should have lifted himself up as king. And, and the people of Shechem should have repented because of what they had done with Abimelech and, and the killing of the 70 brothers. Both, in the end, uh, both Shechem and, and Abimelech are destroyed. I think the lesson for us is that if we don't allow God to be the Lord and King of our lives, then the bramble King of our flesh will rise up and take control. And if you continue to walk in that flesh, you're going to just get tangled up in there, and there's going to be nothing but turmoil. But if you walk in the Spirit, if we feed our spirit instead of our flesh, then God will rule and reign supremely, and the Lord will produce much, much fruit in our lives. Abimelech was an ungodly, self-appointed leader. There's nothing good to say about him other than he left us an example of what not to do. But Jesus, Jesus, on the other hand, is our perfect example of godly leadership. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. His entire servant leading was accomplished by the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Let that be our example. To be born again of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and led by the Spirit. Let's pray.